0: In this episode, we focus on Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 12 through 20. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this season, Tim Dunn and Joey Willis walk through the book of Ecclesiastes verse by verse, discussing what is being revealed about the nature of God, our world, and our most adequate response to it. Grab your Bible, some note-taking supplies, and pull up the BibleSays.com commentary on Ecclesiastes as we take a deep dive into the deep truths of Ecclesiastes. Rich with humility and hope, uncertainty and purpose, mystery and faith, this book is sure to challenge your perspective on what it means to live life well. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him what will come after him? The toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city.
1: (laughs) You know, Tim, sometimes I get real excited about a book I'm reading or a documentary that I'm watching. And I'll start trying to tell Kylie about it, who hasn't read the book or watched the documentary. And it becomes apparent even in my own head that like, I'm not doing a very good job of explaining this. So what do I try to do instead of pausing and re? Or, I, I just keep talking. I just try to like keep digging myself out of the hole. And I can see Kylie getting exasperated and confused and a bit annoyed and just like, what? I I don't know what I'm saying anymore. And she certainly doesn't know what i'm saying but i somehow think i'll get out of this by just keep talking by multiplying words by multiplying Creating the more words in <laughs> and sometimes so, so
2: you're being a fool you're being saying being a fool
1: <laughs> and sometimes Kylie will stop me and be like sweetheart i have no idea what you're saying <laughs> Uh, and I'm not sure you do. So let's, like, you know, let's let's try this again. What, what what's going on in this in this book or this documentary that you're trying to share with
2: me? This is interesting too. The words of the mouth of a wise man are gracious. This word "gracious" uh, could be translated "favor." And actually, in the New Testament, I wish instead of grace they would always put the word "favor." Uh, that's really what it means. Uh, the word uh, Greek word charis, Uh it's included in the uh, in the. Uh, verse that says, "And Jesus grew in favor with God and man." That's Keras. It's favor. Someone's fa- and that, that, the reason I like it better is because it causes you to ask, "Who's favoring who?" Mm-hmm. Which is kind of the key thing here. Well, when you have a wise man, his words are favoring you. Okay, and and that could be because they're lifting you up. It could be because they're helping you see you're there. It could be because they're helping you see you're here in current reality. Now, you may not receive them as favor. That doesn't mean they aren't favor. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other hand, the lips of a fool are going to consume the other person. And that may sound like, uh, yeah, that's a great idea to go down that path of Hebel, you know, to go down that path of self. Uh, or, or it could be tearing them down. But th- this is two totally different ways to talk. And so here's another opportunity for investment. How are you going to invest your words? Mm-hmm. And every time you speak, if you're going to go down this path of wisdom, you should think of your words as an investment. And it's an investment in this other person. Maybe they hear, maybe they don't. But you want to put the words out there carefully because you want them to be wise words that favor the other person.
1: You know, this, the the last part here, talking about the toil of a fool so weary, him that he doesn't even know how to go to a city, it makes me think of, uh, is it in like James 4 or 5, somewhere around there, where
2: it talks about uh, go to a city and spend a year there and engage in business. And right, profit. like
1: yeah. So it's warning against this. It's saying uh, that we take on this perspective, of saying I'm going to go to this city and I'm going to do this and I'm going to spend a year there and I'm going to make this amount of money and then I'll go. And James is saying, no, you're like that's a foolish perspective. Well, you should say if it is the Lord's will, I'll go and I'll do this and that. Which James is actually saying the same thing. Ecclesiastes saying like it doesn't matter where you go, it doesn't matter what you do. Don't get too tied down to that particular outcome. But I think the, the fool, because of a poor investment in their words, might uh, quickly gravitate towards trying to control their outcomes, to trying to control these circumstances and make these vast plans. So back to Ecclesiastes verse 15 here, uh, the, toil, the toil is just so wearisome. They, they are trying um, to control things, and they, and they can't do it. And they and it, they don't know how to go to a city, so they don't they don't know what to do. And you were talking about this with people talking about job changes. We get this with students. What am I going to do after I graduate? And it's like you got to make a choice. And, it, and it, the outcome, the the specific thing doesn't matter to God doesn't nearly as somebody. much mm-hmm. yeah. as who are you going to be? Are uh, you going to be an engineer or a magician? Yeah. Uh, it does. Or, it doesn't matter to God that much. Yeah. It matters some perhaps, but not that much. He'll let you know. He'll let you know. What matters to him is what kind of engineer you're going to be, what kind uh, of magician you're going to be, what uh, character are you taking into those roles. Is re- How do you go into those cities is really more important than which city are you going into.
2: And and they uh, we're back here at process versus outcome again, right? No one knows what's going to happen, Ecclesiastes says. Nobody knows. You don't know what's going to happen. So... Trying to no so this, this is a word to me you know I, I'm I'm a, a foinker you know I tend to try to control the future by imagining a hundred different events and then controlling one of the early dominoes that's my bent mm. and somebody and I, someone gave me wisdom and pointed out hey I think you do this and I thought I said yeah I really do and he said well here's how you control that uh, you control not controlling you 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 say to yourself <laughs> uh, okay let's say let's say this whole domino event happened. you know the the financial markets melt down all my wealth is gone i'm a pop, you know whatever whatever disaster you're imagining get to the end of it and then ask yourself could i trust god then hmm. Hmm. of course the answer is always yes uh, and then i can say okay well that may happen i, I no one knows what will happen that may happen hmm. but my my fundamental question i can't control that outcome, but I get to control who I trust. Mm. Okay? So, if that happens, can I trust God? Yes or no? And I, I that's self-talk. Again, you know, Solomon did a lot of self-talk in the first part of Ecclesiastes. Well, I can ask myself that question, and if I say yes, now I'm free of having to try to control that outcome. And that that's actually the same thing applied to, you know, my my inner life. Hmm. That makes
1: me think of my illustration before about Being in a dark room with all the obstacles, Uh, that foolishness of trying to kind of control all that is—that's what this is saying. It's so wearisome. It's so frightening. If you flick the light on, there's probably a big poster that you weren't seeing in the darkness that just says, "Trust me." Right? It's just (laughs) God, like (laughs) saying, "Like trust me." And so when the light comes on, not only are you more able to see those obstacles, but you're you're reminded. That's the ultimate thing. Even if you accidentally do hit one of the obstacles that's there, you've got that banner that's that's your lighthouse. It's proclaiming the truth that really tethers
2: you. And this last little thing here, um, toil of a fool, the picture I get is that he's so unused to work that even a little bit of effort makes him dizzy and he can't find his way home. (laughs) So I think the cautionary tale there is... We, we need to learn how to work. Work is something we learn how to do. And in our society, you know, there's all these child protection laws of working and whatever that were supposedly to protect the child, but they've gone to the point where now we're potentially harming kids because they don't learn how to work. And this is something that's just is really important to find some way to help your children learn how to work. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's a job at home or something that you can do. but that's, uh, that's, a, that's a, a threat, I think, to a, a generation here of, not, of becoming this fool that doesn't know how to work.
0: Finishing up with verses 16 through 20. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through indolence the rafters sag, and through slackness the house leaks. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment, and wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. Furthermore, in your bedchamber do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms do not curse a rich man. For a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known.
2: So here we have a a situation where we've got a land, and it's got princes or noble people well, we actually have two different illustrations of lands with princes and noble, noblemen. And in one, they eat and then they work. And the other one, they spend their time eating and drinking and getting drunk. So, this and this is, this is really like any organization. Is the organization existing to support the habits and lifestyle and enjoyment of the leaders? Or are the leaders working and investing in the mission of the organization? And if you have leaders working and investing in the mission of the organization, that land or that organization is blessed. Mm-hmm. And when you have an organization where uh, they just want more money, money's the answer to everything, more enjoyment, more wine, more things for themselves, and and you can never do enough for them because you exist for them, that land is has woe, or that organization has woe. <clears throat> and that's really the difference between a great organization and a terrible organization, no matter what kind it is, family or, or church, business, club, team. If the leadership is investing in the mission and taking everyone to the mission, it's gonna be a great organization. If assuming the mission is good or a mission and and not an evil one Uh, but if the organization's purpose is to serve the appetites for affirmation or for uh, glory or for a sense of control or whatever it is that's going to be a woeful organization and that's just a there you got servant leadership and all the leadership material in a nutshell here from thirty five hundred years ago.
1: Well, and it's not just an arbitrary punishment; it's the explanation of reality. It's just how things work. It's just it's, how it is. It's just action and consequence. Uh, we see this a lot. A lot. The the you will see the effects of a poor organization. You'll see the effects of a great organization in time. Yeah. Uh, the The rafters are going to sag eventually. Yeah.
2: Uh, the, because they're not investing in the building, all the investment's being consumed by the leaders. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It, it, the consequence of that is going to be, whoa, it's going to be mm-hmm. destruction. It's going to be dysfunction.
2: And who wants to work when all all that's happening is I'm working for someone else's pleasure? Where's the work incentive if that's the case? Mm-hmm. I work, they take. Uh, What's going to happen? Well, the rafters are going to sag. Let them fix it themselves.
1: Well, and the trick that we use in that system is we say if you work hard enough, you can maybe join the party, right? Yeah. You can maybe usurp one of the guys that's mm-hmm. in that, that <laughs> room, and you can eat and drink. But that is kind of a false promise most of the yeah. time, which is why uh-huh. oppression comes in quickly because yeah. the guys in that room are like, we're not letting – I'm not yeah. losing my spot. Yeah. Uh, I, we're not letting anybody else in here. We mm-hmm. We are going to enjoy these – So again, this goes into what you're talking about, Tim, with poor investments, what I was Mm -hmm. talking about in terms of a lack of alignment. This is messing with God's created order and making a a mess of it, and there are going to be consequences for that. And so it is wise, it is efficient for us uh, to live in alignment with God's reality, to invest wisely, to steward well the things that, that are in front of us.
2: And then the last verses here, these authorities are messing up, they're bad. But you've got to be careful about what you say, okay? So it says, you know, a little bird's going to go and tell them. These guys, that as you're saying, they want to keep their vaulted, vaunted position. So they got birds out for threats to their vaunted position, right? So don't hatch a plan until you're ready. You got the full plan in place. Don't don't just don't just spout off. Uh, if you're going to do something about it, keep it to yourself. Until you got a full plan to right the ship, otherwise they'll just knock you off.
1: Well, and a I, I kind of another application of saying the same thing, we often talk about this with the servant leadership. Is the first person you have to lead is yourself, and so get your own house in order before you start throwing stones at them, because. If you are living a life of character and and influencing well, you're going to start to impact the the people who are around you. And that's what's necessary to gather some sort of kind of you know moral or mission-centered revolt in your organization, not just some anger angry tirade, which he talked about before, fighting the wind with another wind.
0: Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowbloons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.